This is Europe calling with Vince Tracy and Matt King. And not a lot of people know that. So, very good morning. Welcome everybody to our podcast. Today's date is the 30th of May, 2023. Well, we're going to talk about the weather today. And uh, strangely enough, uh, we've had a weather alarm which comes on my telephone telling me that uh, the province of Alicante and uh, coming west of Valencia is likely to have very bad flooding in certain parts but of course they can't be specific so let me just go down to Altea and uh, that's about um, three quarters of an hour's west driving down to see Matt and I wonder whether or not that's the same for you down there have you got uh, a lot of water and uh, is it still sort of likely to rain good morning Vincent well uh, yes uh, it's it's I'm actually looking at brilliant sunshine um, uh, at the moment so uh, um, we're very lucky, but then we do have these Bernier Mountains behind us, which seems to keep everything over your side um, and doesn't allow it. And all, it's almost as if it's like a, an overdraft. So even when the, the weather comes down from, from you, uh, from the west, it, it actually flows over us. So it's almost like Benny, it hits Benidorm, but we get a little bit of a mist unless it comes from Kyosa and up in the mountains. And then, of course, it's coming out over over us anyway when we get it. But it's been it's it's not been very pleasant for the last 10 days now. And I think we've got another 10 days of it. Looks like it. Um, I'm looking straight out on a mountain which uh, colloquially they call uh, Cara de Franco. And uh, then when you when you go to the next town, they say it's not, it's the sleeping Indian. So, you know, whatever. Um, but whatever. it's interesting to say nothing else. Um, and the uh, the west, of course, is the Monco, uh, which is where we get the difference between your weather and our weather. Um, so it's no, quite... I'm, east. I'm east of you. I didn't correct you earlier because I thought I'd let you go on. But I think I'm east of you, aren't I? No, no, you're west of us. Oh no, I'm west of you. I beg your <laughs> pardon. I'm I'm half asleep, as you pointed out before, as we were on the video. Yeah. No, I'm definitely I'm west. I've not not all there this morning, everybody. So uh, apologies. <laughs> well, been working very hard. Is, is exactly what you were saying, though. Yesterday, the weather looked uh, really oh. menacing up in the mountains, uh, straight ahead of me. And then uh, we thought, well, OK, well, we better go back home just in case it does happen to come down. And then it went very nice and bright and almost like, as you say, the mountains sort of shield you. And um, thank you very much indeed. Let's just keep doing that. So that's um, a great backdrop to our theme today. Do you get this warning that comes on your phone, by the way? Yeah, I do. But from the Aviz me, the... Uh... Well, I do, but we haven't. I've only had one actually in the last ten days. That's going to be very bad. Okay. Um, haven't had anything this morning, so it can't be as far as down here. Right. But I think this this weather front that's been coming over is is very much in areas like you said before. It, it's not hitting the whole of the of our uh, our coast. It's hitting spots of it. Whether that's to do with the mountain ranges, I don't know. But it's uh, it doesn't appear to be everywhere. Having said that. There have been some dreadful floodings in Benidorm and uh, in Murcia as well. That's been it's been awful. Some people have lost everything, their homes, their cars, their valuables, um, and one one can only go the heart can only go out to them because it wouldn't have been the first time because they live in that particular zone. Yeah. Well, it's so strange because, uh, you know, I decided to talk about the weather uh, when we were setting up for what we talk about today. And uh, always, everything that I do, any podcast, I always just tell people what the weather is because I do feel that it makes a statement because when we start talking about this, it does set the tone for your mood straight away uh, because at the back of your mind, you know, you're thinking... 100%. Yeah, I mean, uh, with the best will in the world, if you look out on your plants, you think, well, okay, so um, the garden should be okay, uh, but we don't want too much water because if that's the case, as we'll discuss, uh, you know, it's bad for the crops, for example, 
And um, if you just look at the fact that the English always talk about the weather, um, you know, it's almost a, a standing joke, really, isn't it, with people? Um, you know, when, the minute you meet somebody, uh, the first thing you virtually say is, oh, how's things? Uh, what's your weather been like? I mean, that's, yeah, it trips yeah, off the it tongue. Is, you never, they never do that in Spain. The Spanish never, ever talk about the weather here unless you bring it up. And then they go, oh, you're English. <laughs> so we're actually labelled. We're, uh, we're labelled with that uh, analogy, really. It's uh, it's quite strange. But we do talk about the weather. I mean, I I do a, a, a page on a paper on a, an Internet site on a Saturday. And uh, nearly always I find my, if I read back up what I've written, because I keep everything over the last two years, I I look back and I think you started that with the weather, and and I'm not sure if it's a, 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 an ingrained habit, or whether actually it's a nice place to start before you start having a go at anybody or start writing about anything. Probably um, a bit of bit of both, I think. Yeah, it is, but it's you're definitely right. I mean, we do all the English, the Brits. It is the weather. Oh, aren't we having a lovely day today? Oh, oh did you know it's going to rain later? It's not nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no. Well, I'm not going to be going out later. I'm going to be stopping in. And it, it is all around the weather. Well, I know when I was working with Ondothera, which, of course, is or was based roughly where you are, um, I know that uh, one of the funny things that I used to have on my programme I had a series of people going from Marira. Uh, then I had one down where, obviously, we could do our own weather. Uh, then I had one down at Playa San Juan. Um, and uh, then one that would come in sort of at odd times. And so sometime during the three-hour stint I was doing, I'd always phone that particular person and ask them to give me an update because there is such a disparity between, for example, me living here... In just on the border of Alicante here, and then looking right down as far as Alicante stretches, practically down to Torre Vieja. So, yeah. uh, you know, when you actually look at the, the geography, that's uh, the best part of a an hour and a half drive. And so... Well, two, uh, well, two hours, I would say. Mm, probably almost. right, yeah. Could be two hours, because it's an hour and a quarter, an hour and a th- half from here to Murcia. So, you know, you've got to go... Down a little bit further to Torre Molinas, and then, you know, and then back up to Valencia. So is it this? But what I understand what you're saying. Interestingly, though, once you get past uh, Alicante, the mountains disappear, and the rain, uh, the mountains as such disappear. Yeah. There are some little hills on the way down there, but uh, the mountains disappear, and they tend to get a much worse rainfall history than we do up here where we have the mountains behind us. Mm. Well, I, I and, also the rem- big, and the big reservoirs we have. Well, I, I do remember that the, the first thing was that we would always, you know, we would have the official weather forecast. And whenever I was reading it, I would always say, but don't forget, we're near the mountains and we're close to the sea. Things can change very, very quickly. And, of course, when we have had some of these extreme weather events, uh, which in Spain we call the Gota Fria. Um, if you have somebody uh, sort of situated in an area which at that particular point in time hadn't had a Gota Fria, but they do come around sort of uh, at sort of every 15 or even 20 years and hit a dry river riverbed, uh, some of the things that we used to talk about became really quite horrific because you did have uh, builders, unscrupulous builders, who would uh, build into a dry riverbed. Um, They would obviously be knowing that there had been a history of water arriving. And uh, I am told that water will always return to the place where it has flooded in the past. Uh, Whether that's totally true or not, I don't know. But that's what I, I have been led to believe. Well, you, you, it, that, that that is true as a builder. That is true to a certain degree. However, that's why these great big canals and diversions can be built. But of course, we don't actually see that much of it. I mean, is the, 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 there there is this big uh, debate going on, and has been ever since I've been here for twenty four years about building. Uh, a canal through down from the, the north of Spain all the way to the south 
to to allow water to to cover the whole of the of the country um which it would because there's loads up up in the north and the mountains coming off the the snow the, uh, uh what the runoffs and and things like that but of course it's got to go through four or five different communities and not one of them work together not one of them wants uh not one of them wants to be helpful to the other or wants money out of the other one to to uh, not just to do the job and it always seems amazing to me here they're, they're so kind people as an individual and as a family but as a as a force they seem to be just out to bite each other's <laughs> what's it's off yeah. you know what i mean they they i don't know if you found that but that's certainly how i've i politically they just want to be the the number one that's it and of course, again, that's a very appropriate comment uh, because yesterday uh, a snap election was called here in Spain. And that, of course, means uh, that you start asking the questions, why have they done that? Well, of course, they have done it for political reasons. Uh, the Labour Party that's in at the moment, uh, they fear that maybe the tide is turning. And certainly the uh, extreme right, the Vox Party, has picked up votes in the um, in the, the elections, which are local elections that were held on Sunday. So a very quick decision was made, call a general election which of course uh, then will go back uh, whoever wins to questions such as the water and um, when I was talking with uh, Terry Whitehead on the Thursday podcast that we do last week Terry was telling me of this uh, very very ancient parliament that sits up in um, uh, Valencia I think it's called uh, the no, I'm not going to even try to... It's a Spanish name, obviously. And they um, sit and then they adjudicate as to what water certain farms are allowed to take when they're allowed to take it and um, the uh, the uh, spreading of the water for the crops in um, Alicante um, and, and the other provinces of Valencia. So um, that was a very interesting discussion I had with Terry and I hadn't realised at the time that it was one of the earliest parliaments in the world, apparently. Yes, it, 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 I've, heard of, I've heard of it before. Um, it's been it's over a thousand years old. It really is quite something special, um, and it's uh, adjudicated water between the farmers and who uh, and they bid for it and who's. But again, as you know and I know, it'll be about who's who uh, who's whose father did this or whose mother did that or whose family did that. It'll be all about families, and it won't be anything to do with you know fairness or payment or anything mm. but it's just a system you sort of become that when a, when you first arrive here you think oh my goodness me that's terrible we can't that's an awful way of working but actually you know it it's a way of the world in a lot of places now in high in high positions if you know someone you get the job and of course the the roots to all of this uh go back to the arab days and for yeah. those that really maybe haven't thought too strongly about this, um, you only have to look around the whole of the Valencian community uh, to see the old Arab names uh, once you start looking for them. You know, you, you will be able to find them. And, of course, uh, the irrigation system was set up here by the Arabs. Um, so it becomes more than just talking about the weather. Um, I mean, I can remember the first time that I was motoring down through France. Uh, we came through the uh, the Pyrenees, and then when you get to Barcelona, there's a huge change in everything. You know, things started. It was uh, normally about seven uh, seven degrees by the time you got to Barcelona, but uh, around zero uh, as you went through the Pyrenees, and uh, then you saw the sun, and things started to change. And of course, um, I think if you go by the number of people who have come to live in this part of the world because they need to, because they have health issues um, and they need the sun. I mean, we, we have the classic in England um, that I can remember where we used to have the seasonal affective disorder. Sad, yeah. um, you know, and uh, when you started to ferret around and talk to people, uh, there were people who even then 
they would stay indoors. If we had a bit of rain, uh, they would need to go and sleep. And so they would tell me then about their, you know, the, 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 their attendant health issues that seem to go hand in hand with the weather. Yeah, no, I, 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 I suffer. I didn't realise I suffered it because back in the day we didn't put labels on things like that. Especially sad. Sad was a bit of a a new uh, entity. But it wasn't until I arrived in Spain that I realised that actually my life was my life because it changed completely. It was and about the way I felt about things was totally different. And it was because of the sun. Mm. It was because I was out of the gloom and the misery that we, we you, that you grow up with, that you take for granted and that you accept and you don't. You, I, I'm not saying everybody's gloomy and miserable in England because I think a lot of people make the best of it and they do it, but they're not affected by it. But actually, if you are affected by this sad, um, it is it really it really is serious and it and it makes you feel terrible, mm. really terrible. Well, I know when but, when. When I was working down in Cornwall, I hadn't really thought too much about weather and that sort of uh, part of life because uh, you don't have to. You know, you're a younger person. And then uh, when we'd moved down to Cornwall, um, unwittingly, uh, when we went, first of all, we lived at uh, 12 Heads, which is, uh, well, near enough 12 Heads, uh, near uh, to Truro. And then we went to the the coast at Perrinporth. And it's really quite uh, startling, the difference between the fact that when you get to the uh, Perrinporth, Newquay, up the West Coast, it is actually very different weather. Sure, you still get your heavy showers and uh, your days when it was pretty, pretty, pretty bad. But you did get a lot of sun. And, of course, we do have people that will extol the virtues of that part of Cornwall. You know, it's not yeah. like the Bodmin Moor where you knew that uh, you were really going to have a, a tricky time crossing that particular part of the county, you know. Yeah, but you're going to be wet, weren't you? You knew when you went to Bodmin that you're going to be moist, damp or wet. Choose your choose your verb there. You, you know, it was... Uh... <laughs> it was uh, it's, it, it was always the case, but there was a beauty about it. I'm not degrading it. Or didn't, there was a beauty about that type of countryside because of the weather and because of the. But we also get that here. I mean, I don't know you know if you know, but if you come through the tunnel from Calpay to our region around here, there when you look back at the Bernier Mountain, and which I look at from my garden, lucky enough to look at from my garden. When you look back, you can see quite clearly the the line of condensation mm. that the clouds have on the mountain because that's where the trees grow. There's a massive amount of greenery that just runs in a line through the mountain all the way to the as far as you can see, and the top where the elements get it and the wind and the uh, and uh, and uh, the, the sort of the heavy winds and the the cooler temperatures get it. It's it's fairly barren and it's granite and it's uh, up there. But then just this line, I, I'm not sure how big it, two, maybe two or three hundred meters yeah. wide, through the whole of the mountain. And it's quite amazing how nature works its way like that. But it's all to do with the cloud and its condensation when it comes down. Yeah, yeah. I, I often look at uh, say the Calpe rock. Um, I can remember when we went down to Gibraltar, and, and you see uh, the 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 clouds hanging above Gibraltar, and uh, it, it, this actually brings us nice and clear, clearly to the likes of the forecasting, uh, because you know we started off today t- uh, t- telling each other about the the weather, and I told you about the forecast that's come to me, and uh, basically. Um, I mean, the work of the weather forecaster, I think, often is a little bit undervalued. Um, I remember when I did an interview with Michael Fish and, you know, he was the guy that often gets the biggest flack for that hurricane of 1987, which hit um, the Cornwall uh, coast and then travelled over our house and right up through the centre of Britain leaving a trail of devastation, which, uh, of course, he was quick to tell me that really, you know, uh, despite the fact 
uh, that they'd had new computers, it was just impossible to know what would happen. And he was also quick to tell me that the weather forecasters are not part of the BBC, but they're an association which work closely with the BBC. Uh, so yeah. I should imagine the same will be for the uh, um, ITV and the other networks. And um, when you actually look up into the skies that you obviously do, because I think we, we, we see this quite similarly, I do quite like looking at the cloud formation and trying to visualize uh, these uh, forecast maps that you have where you can clearly see that the line w w that we're looking at is probably the line that's been drawn on the weather map so that, you know, when you look at the isobars, you clearly see that uh, they're in play when we're looking at the cloud formation. Um, and also remember when, when I used to work for Radio Merseyside, so we're talking in the very early days, um, I remember having a chat with uh, one of the airline pilots and apparently every time they have a flight, one of the first things they do when they get back in, they make a weather report. So, of course, all this is now probably uh, superseded by the computers and the data banks and things like that. Uh, but I think the the, the weather it's forecast... Still gonna have, it's still, sorry to interrupt you there, but it's still got to have input by p people because I I did my, <coughs> excuse me, mountain leadership certificate and I went on many, uh, I was very lucky enough to be able to go on to many uh, helicopter um, uh, ski courses so uh, and ski holidays. So with the guide, the guides there would up on the mountains with the snow would have rods that were up to 16 metres deep and they would put those rods through the snow and they could tell where the slip was going to be, where the avalanche potential was going to be by the different feel of the rods going down. And that was all reported back every day when you went up there. So they've, they've got the computers do do the analysis of when or how or when, etc., because it would take humans a lot of extra work. But it still relies on human, the mountain, the, the guys that are out there on the mountains, the guys that are out there up in the hills. Um, it relies on them supplying the information a lot of the time. And it's not just these um, uh, wind wind machines and and, uh, and meters that are up on the mountains. It's actual guides and people that get up there and, and do it. And, uh, and thank God they do. They're, you know, we need them. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you're the same as me. I go and look at the sea. Uh, I'm always looking to see what I think is going to happen. Uh, I mean, also, while I'm doing that, I'm looking to see should there be any dolphins and uh, porpoise or anything like that about. And I have seen a couple of pods of dolphins and I've actually seen a, a one on its own uh, not far from where we live, you know, down at the coast. Um, I remember I was uh, at a friend's having my hair cut in uh, you know, Cala de Finistrat. Uh, overlooking the bay and I just said to this friend of mine I said um, do you often see many dolphins and she said oh I've never seen one so I said well look behind that boat down there and there was a fishing boat coming in and two dolphins leaping out the water behind it yeah. and on the day that we came from Cornwall decided that we were going to live uh, over in Spain the final day that we walked on the coast at Newquay uh, there was a big commotion, lots of people all pointing. And uh, when we looked, we saw the pod of about 50 dolphins all leaping over the, the surfers, which uh, was, it's awe inspiring. I mean, you know, there are certain things which are an absolute uh, joy to behold. And that was, I mean, they're, they're, they are lovely, they're lovely creatures. I've surfed in Newquay where, where they've actually been dolphins playing. In amongst us and 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 riding down by the side of us on the on the waves, mm -hmm. um, that they're very very, and I, I I'm, there's a story that's told. Um, I have no reason to believe that it that it isn't true. That that there was a a surfer once upon a that well or I bet it's happened a few times. Got into difficulties and was actually guided into shore by dolphins. Was actually. Up, Dolphin put their noses underneath his arms and took him into into the towards the shore, 
where people realised that he was in difficulties. And uh, they're, they're amazing, intelligent creatures. And how they, they, in foreign shores they, they hunt them and, and kill them, I, I have... I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I despair. Yeah. But they are really... And they're beautiful, like you say. When you They're majestic, they're clean... And seeing them jump and rise and watching their fins come out. And a school is just amazing. It's just amazing. And yet if if they are threatened, if something is menacing, they will group together and they will attack, uh, yeah. you know, and work a, work a way of defending themselves. Um, yeah, absolutely. Just... Killer, killer whales. Killer whales. Mm-hmm. They will... They know if they know any any are around, they will they will and they'll they'll beat the killer whale up. Mm. They keep pounding it and pounding it and pounding it there's, until it leaves. There's a few asides coming here, but I'll I'll throw another one in. I don't know if you've been <laughs> following it, but uh, apparently uh, orca uh, down near Gibraltar have been attacking people in their boats. Uh, apparently uh, something happened with one particular whale and they reckon that this particular whale is teaching the other whales how to attack the boats so well, it wouldn't it wouldn't i didn't know that but it wouldn't surprise me i i, I think the whale it has got a small brain but uh, you know you don't need much of a brain to to be defensive and learn how we used to when we were evolving you know attack hunt do whatever you don't need much of a brain to to realize that you need to defend yourself yeah so uh, i think we we they're, they're not they're not stupid creatures and i don't believe any creature is stupid that's why i refuse to swat a wasp off or or a bee if i can help it because mm. they 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 have a value you know they do and and ants and everything i feel if I the can same the ants off with a piece of sh- uh, a line of sugar somewhere and that's what I do, stupid me. <laughs> okay, well, look, we'll move next to, uh, we're talking about the value of certain aspects of weather, uh, how it affects people. And the next thing is to do with uh, planting, because uh, just so happens, I, you know, often I get accused of being green-fingered. And the reason why I like to do this is if I see something that I like, for example, I've put down uh, another begonia, which I just happened to see. Uh, if you can take a cutting off, uh, sometimes if you put it into the soil and then obviously look after it for a while and the hope that, uh, you know, it takes, um, you know, I, I've got quite a success rate on this because I'll do this. I did this with a grapevine. uh and laughed at me. She thought it was, a, you know, never going to grow. And now I'm looking at about four feet of uh, vine, which uh, does actually go in line with uh, the fact that people have to plan uh, according to the weather and the season. Uh, and they, they know, and, and this is what really blows my mind. How does the seed know what time of the year it is? And, you know things like that. That uh... well, I think I think it, it's called nature, isn't it? Yeah. And it is this wonderful. You know, you and I would both probably agree that it's this God-given ability of life that is is whether it is human, whether it's plant, whether it's animal, whatever. It's controlled by something much greater than us. Yes. And these. That's why the seasons are so important, because if if the rain doesn't come. And if the cold comes too soon, we will see death uh, and destruction within the crop system um, qu- quite often and quite all over the world. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we've got one uh, terrible blight at the moment, a, a guy called Putin. You might have heard of him up in Russia, who's destroying. I mean, to be to be fair, Ukraine was one of the largest producers in the world of mm-hmm. grain and uh well the bread, food. bread basket of Europe they called it didn't they yeah yeah ab- absolutely and the 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 uh I, I'm restraining myself an awful lot to call him a, a Putin really uh, there's lots of other words I can think he's he's uh he's his control of people and um the way he has done things has been very clever in some respects, if you look at how evil someone can be. But, you know, the, it, we are, everybody saying, oh, the supermarkets haven't got the food in, they haven't got this, they haven't got that, baked beans have gone through the roof. You can hear it everywhere you go. 
But it's all down. It's affected by oil, by by gas, by the fact that Ukraine now no longer produces the same amount of quantity of stuff that it produced before. It, it's had a massive effect on the world, and it's going to the, the knock on will be severe unless somebody does something about it. But that's for another day and another story. Yeah, I think. Well, we're well, talking about the weather, aren't we? We are, but there is a, a, there is a knock on that uh, obviously isn't being discussed, which is the amount of. Um, Fields, the amount of fields, the amount of uh, opportunities to plant and grow and the farming that needs to be accompanying this, uh, it's going to have a tremendous effect, I think, for many, many years. So uh, when we're looking at just the very fact that now a huge area of crops won't exist because they can't put the seed in, it doesn't matter what the weather does in that particular case, um, because sadly, the events have overtaken what nature could have produced for us. So, yeah, I think you're, yeah. you're right to say that. And of course, uh, when we talk about the weather again, it's this. Um, well, I mean, if you look at our situation, we were getting pretty desperate for water. Um, you know, the 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 reservoirs in a general sense were down. The reservoirs wouldn't have existed had we not had a dictator that probably at the right time decided that they were going to be constructed. So I see again immediately the links between what's happening in Russia, um, you know, precipitated by one person. Um, if we go back to the better side of a dictatorship here in Spain, uh, we did get our reservoirs, which were emptying. I think we were down to... 28 or something percent nationally uh, so this long period of water has probably had its ramifications uh, way way past uh, just water falling you know if the reservoirs are filling up that's wonderful isn't it yeah it is and and an added, added to that is i know franco in most parts get bad gets a bad press and certainly here in the valentian community there are many many families that will not mention his name um as they have they have family that literally were taken out in the garden and shot yeah. and not allowed to be buried in sacred ground or and they had to take them and, and, and bury them in the hills and in the mountains. And that, whilst that's shocking in itself, we have to realise that Franco only died in the 70s. It's not that long ago since that type of behaviour. But, but he created all of the autopistas. He built the infrastructure of the roads within Spain um, was responsible for that. He built community housing. Okay, it's these slum areas that you see around the place now because they they were ba built basically. But he believed it was everybody's right to have a roof over their head. And there's a lot of people only hear the name Franco and just think of all the terrible things that happened. But he did do quite a good a bit for for uh, for Spain. And of course, Benidorm wouldn't have existed if it hadn't have been for Franco, well, because he was the one, the mayor of Benidorm cycled, I think, yeah, that's to right. Madrid and spoke spoke to him. And, and of course, Benidorm was formed. Uh, it, 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 it's not all bad. And I'm not I'm not suggesting for one minute I I uh, support all the things he did because he, he did some terrible, terrible things. But, um, you know, he, there, there were other things that he did that don't get mentioned and I think are important. Okay, uh, we can add in the menu del dia. But having said that, uh, we yeah. are we are slightly straying off the weather. So I'm going to bring us back on course, and I'm going to look next at the logistics of planning events. Uh, we may as well take sport. Uh, as we've just had a massive weekend of great sport, I uh, don't know if you uh, spotted uh, Just Stop Oil protesting at the um, Twickenham Stadium. Um, I saw that. Yeah, the the orange, the orange. Uh, yeah, powder. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I prefer Eric Rowe back in the seventies. That was more interesting. Uh, if you remember that little, uh, I, I but that wasn't about. The Protestation. It was that was just about Erica Rowe wanting to yeah. produce her breasts out into the crowd. I, 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 I prefer the Barbarians. The day after that was a great game against the rest of the world. But let's go back to the sports. That was a, that was a good game. Yeah. Uh, so w when it comes to planning these events, uh, you can see that it must be a horrendous job 
to be able to, you know, put your pen to paper and say, okay, on the 28th of May, we're going to have a great game. It's the end of the uh, the Premier League and this will be the ultimate game and we'll find out who our champions are. Saracens, by the way, um, great final, uh, great spectacle. But of course, everybody then is in the hands of the weather. So it doesn't matter what the forecasters say, what actually happens on the day decides on whether that event would have been really enjoyed or maybe miserably accepted and people sitting in the rain watching something that, you know, can be so different if they're watching in brilliant sunshine. For the players, of course, again, you know, things like having to choose which studs to wear. Um, it, I mean, there's so many things which we're uh, talking about which are affected massively by the weather. So let's stay with the planning of these events. How would you like to have to plan something as massive as, say, you know, the Rugby World Cup at a time in a country uh, when maybe it can be spoiled by the by the rain? Well, all, all by the sun. I mean, you know, <laughs> these guys that play in the Northern Hemisphere, I mean, playing in South Africa for the World Cup was was uh, was a you know, incredibly uh, uh, an, an incredible achievement for for all of all of them because going playing in temperatures of 35, 40 degrees, it's just that was just and coming from cold colder countries. Okay, you can go on to the argument then that the you know they're not all from the England and they're not all from Scotland or they're not all from New Zealand or wherever they all come from different the countries nowadays. For the internationals, because their their great grandfather was had a a left leg that was Scottish um, or whatever. But um, given 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 that, I mean, I I've played in England in hot. Temp- I've never played in Spain, but I've played in England in hot temperatures that were we nearly died. We nearly died. I mean, it wasn't. And in those those days, there was no change of kit you didn't have a kit that you put on because it was a, a lightweight kit and it was it evaporated quickly there weren't the materials that you had then you played in the good old thick uh sort of shirts and and shorts and, and whatever um and it was a it you you i suppose you just got on with it i do understand what you're saying mm. but it was never ever an issue about whether it was rain. oh it's raining that's going to make the ball slippery so what we're going to do is we're going to keep it in the forwards not and and not let it out to the backs so much that that type of decision was made uh, in rugby um but certainly not it it it, it never stopped a game unless the pitch was waterlogged well, what Unless about you... what about water breaks? I mean, even now, uh, when the weather I wouldn't have thought is as hot as people are making out in the UK, um, they now seem to have these water breaks at certain times during the game. I mean, we never used to have that. So uh... no, no, we just. I mean, and, and I don't remember anybody dropping dead of dehydration. To be perfectly honest. Um, Maybe there were. I don't know the statistics on it. Maybe people did, but I don't remember it. And um, you just got on, but you waited till half time, or you actually waited till somebody broke their leg, or they not not I'm being you know had a cut, or they did something, or and the game was stopped, and then you might get a drink come on with the with the trainer, and you'd be gragging for a bottle. But there was no there was no. But I don't think the science was there then, and I don't think. Uh, I think that's made a big, big difference to the, to the temperature as well. Um, we understand more of science now than we used to um, with the world temperature, with the with the, the the sports, the psychology of the sport, the physiology of the sports. I mean, football. I don't know. They seem to dance around the pitch for a little while, and uh, then they get refreshments. I don't know much about football, but they're very, very good dancers and they're very, very good actors. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And especially when you contrast uh, the the proliferation of cheating, which is now part of the everyday sport. But then I'm going to return to our theme because we're looking at the weather. And in particular, when you look at the heat that tennis players, a solo game, uh, okay, it's not maybe contact, but it's constant. 
and you know they will obviously go and uh, take the liquid on board but they still are running and hitting and doing many things which will take a lot of their energy and sap the energy in the heat so you do wonder really whether or not uh, there's an element of uh, the um mamsy pamsiness that's uh, come into certain sports uh, my my thoughts immediately uh, go to football as opposed to going to rugby rugby doesn't seem to have this same problem if the weather's bad they get on with the game uh, even the commentators don't seem to dwell on it whereas uh, the minute you see any water then football yes okay it is a different type of control so i can understand that you're not using your hands unless you're the goalkeeper uh, you're using your feet and they are actually contained in a boot. So a slippery surface is going to be a little bit different in the game of football uh, to contrast that with the game of rugby where you can grab the ball, if you're lucky, um, you know, and just get on with your move. So, yes, the elements... Well, scrummaging was always a problem in the, in the wet. You, 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 you had to have... I mean, they change, I don't know what the rules are now, Vince, to be perfectly honest. But they, the uh, you had to wear extra long studs uh, when the when the pitches got really really wet, which had the, had the a converse effect of actually you couldn't really run the same way that you did when you had shorter studs. A, uh, so I, I think the, the, the certainly the the wet made a huge and of course ice. That was a killer for rugby when you had frost yeah. tackling and the grass burns that the grass burns that you would get in the bloody frost hmm. were horrendous. Yes. But then that was also grass burns in the summer when the ground was like a bullet. Hmm. So you know we we did go through it a, a, a bit with uh, with rugby, but never it was never <laughs> it was just par for the course. Never an issue, it was just, it? It wasn't. You just went and did it. Nobody. There was no psychologist or physiologist, as I said before, to tell you that you shouldn't do it or it's bad for you or whatever. You just did it. Yeah, and that you, was it. You know, even as you're talking, I can remember that uh, we'd have a meeting point maybe uh, down at, um, I don't know, down at the pierhead or, you know, somewhere, a Woodside Ferry or something like that. And we'd all uh, be waiting in this wet pouring with rain and then we'd either go by car uh, to somewhere in Wales or you know but you just played and the weather was just part of what the day was uh, let me turn our attention to your current situation and some of the uh, ways that builders have to cope with intense heat or whether they take a total break in August because this was something that we didn't have in UK, uh, whereas we definitely have certain times of the year when we know uh, Spain tends to shut down with most of its uh, industry uh, outdoors when it comes to August. So if you pick that up and run with the, your experiences here with your building. Well, yes, building here, I mean, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to maintain eight or ten hours a day working in uh 30, 30 degrees of heat, 30 degrees plus, which we which we can actually probably say never doesn't happen. It was, it's always that sort of temperature and above. Um, and also, because we are holiday destinations in this area, the, the Ayuntamiento uh, ban building work uh, during, I think it's two weeks or three weeks here, certainly in our zone, you're not allowed to make noise from... Uh, I think it's only some days in the morning and some days in the afternoon, which must make actually construction work almost impossible by the time you you try. But the police do come round and they do stop they do stop them. So, but I do think it's mainly for tourism and because of uh, we have visitors here that that, that they do that. But um, I, I think there are some. I mean, when you when you go out to Dubai and you go out to the Arab countries. And you watch the foreign workers working in 40 to 50 degrees of heat every day, all day. And they're not all working in air conditioned earth movers or, or cement mixers or, or whatever. They're out there working and then they moan about them working slowly. 
that, that that gets to uh, you you've got to be you've got to be superhuman to work out there in that sort of heat mm. and and work all day long as well it's amazing but they do do it how i don't know but they do but my in in england i used to try and and uh, but i used to prov- i used to provide water you used to send round crates of water to the sites so that everybody had had water now we weren't a water drinking nation in those days but at least they had water there that they could i think it usually got nicked at the end of the day and taken home but that was neither here nor there that was there for them to do it but during the day i don't think people drank water very much even when it was hot but here of course everywhere you go it's it's you have a glass of water to dehydrate or to rehydrate everywhere in cafes in bars everywhere you're tending to give me uh, some memories, which I'm getting a little bit of confusion in my own recall now as to uh, whether or not we had this issue of water uh, and water bottles, because uh, certainly where I used to live, Merseyside, we used to always have uh, water from the tap. Now, here, of course, you can have water in the reservoir and I can remember not uh, that long ago when the rain eventually came, just like this period of time we're living through now, um, the water went into the reservoir and it precipitated an event where there, were, there was too much water in the reservoir and we were not allowed to drink the water from the tap for a number of weeks. Now, I don't know if you remember that, but that's not that long ago. I- no, it wasn't that long. I forget exactly when it was. Um, I don't. I don't recall when it was, but I do remember it happening when they when they said there was some algae or some uh, mm. something in the water that had grown. I'm not even sure that it was because there was too much, was there? Yeah, too much water. Because I know the. Uh, I don't remember who told me this, but I think it was probably via an interview on the radio station that I was doing. But somebody told me that they had to, uh, once the uh, f- f- once the water gets to a certain level, they have to open the gates and let the water That's out. Right. Um, and of course, you know, when we look at things like a God-given uh, gift of water, uh, what astounds me is that we are now still, after all the years I've been on this planet, um, we're still unable to manage water properly. And um, our, our fellow podcaster, um, Terry Whitehead, uh, often told me about the aquifers and about the amount of water that can be underground, unseen, but at least if it's there, we have a, a, at least something to rely on. Uh, whereas, um, you, you know, if you only look at the reservoirs, of, of course, it's quite alarming to see how they've emptied. And he tells me back in 19, I think he said it was 1987, but I can't remember the actual year. Uh, there was a time when there were tankers of walker, water having to turn up into Benidorm Bay and uh, water was distributed to people around the area because there wasn't sufficient water and we had tourists here. So, you know, it's this reliance on the water and the management of the rain. For example, um, I'm thinking again very quickly that the last couple of years we've had a horrible um, time when Saharan dust has come over from the Sahara Desert fallen on our properties and of course then the next thing is uh, you've got to use a lot of water to get rid of the problem of the dust yeah yeah and 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 sadly the rain doesn't come after the dust it comes before the dust and then the dust sticks yeah and and that's it's terrible but but then that's an anomaly i find with nature sometimes i mean why on earth does that happen why doesn't it go the other way around well, it just doesn't. Exactly. And I mean, while we're sort of uh, in flow, pardon the pun, uh, if we're looking at, at the, the water situation, of course, we haven't even looked at uh, what we'll look at now, which is the management of water and the forest fires and the terrible, terrible fires that we get on the Iberian Peninsula and other places, of course, but certainly here. Last yeah. year was bad, wasn't it? Well, the last... 
I, I, I cried. I actually cried with the amount of loss of housing. Uh, the wildlife obviously didn't stand a chance that was there. I mean, it does it does grow back. I don't know if you've been past it at all lately where it was. It It is growing back already. You can see areas of it that are there's regrowth. And I suppose if you listen to the scientists, we need that. We need that de- devastation and that regrowth to keep everything going again. But some, I, I can't, for me, the thought of it all happening, uh, it makes me so sad and so, uh, I'm, it, it's, um, as you know, I'm a God-fearing person, and it and I is one of the questions that I can't I can't relate to in terms of uh, why on earth it get it's done like that. To be honest, mm-hmm. and what why this magnificent uh, His Magnificent Holiness actually uh, does allows for stuff like that to to, yeah. to happen. But I suppose it goes back to the you know the, the the Bible contains loads of weather stories, doesn't it? Let's be honest, the Sea of Galilee. The parting of the of the uh of the waves. I've forgotten the name of them. Yeah. The waves. Um the uh the, loads of weather, the temperature and they brought on storms and they did this and they did that. It's 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 full of weather mm. because I suppose we have to relate it to something that's out of our control and something that is is given by God. Um, just to concentrate on something that, that was um, something I wanted to develop was the fact that um, we were very fortunate to have a, a visit to the Benidorm Fire Service. And I was amazed at the small number of people that are based on firefighters uh, duty during all the year round that we have these awful, awful events. Um, of course, they call in the helicopters, and there's one thing that um, I don't really enjoy seeing is the yellow helicopters, because the minute you see those, you know that somebody's got a problem with a fire. And yeah. a couple of years ago, we had a fire just down the road from us uh, that we've got this very, very tall grass that grows. And, of course, once the wind, which this coast is very, very strong with its wind, which is why we have all the kite surfing up here and the wind surfing, um, then, you, you know, you look at the uh, the logistics of maybe 14 men who have to come quickly from Benidorm right up to the likes of where we are, um, you know, to fight a fire. And I mean, the the amount of the amount of bravery it's involved. And um, firemen can't be underestimated, can they? No, let's be honest. Firemen and also in circumstances, ambulance, all the services, all of the services the, the, they go above and beyond, uh, firemen particularly, but the air sea rescue, when you see quite often they're out in the bay, so, uh, but you'll see the helicopters go out and uh, you 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 just hope that A, they're all right, and B, the people that they're picking up are all right. But it, it's it's very, very, very brave people, and, I, and it can't be underestimated, I don't think. And, of course, for us being on dry land, um, and looking up at the helicopters, uh, and, and you know they have got maybe lots of smoke and natural things that are, are making it difficult for their job. Out at sea, you've got the weather conditions for the fishermen, and as you say, people that are going out to save people on the waves. Um, I mean, all the time you've got weather events that people really then turn to what's going on on British TV, for an example. And so you see that uh, you've got uh, two personalities being under discussion because uh, they've had an affair or something like that. It always appears to me that our priorities are so adrift of reality um, maybe, yeah. maybe this is one of the biggest challenges for people over the next few years because I think at the moment um, when we look and we talk about weather situations, events that aff- affect us all, um, we really uh, are led to believe that something as insignificant as somebody sitting on a couch reading from a monitor becomes a priority 
Whereas, you know, we've got people who are even today will be facing danger from a weather of some sort, uh, especially anywhere near where this water falls, because, again, uh, we'll mention the Gotta Freer, we'll mention the driving. Uh, when when I first came here, I know that somebody was travelling on the A7 motorway. Uh, they got out of their car, not probably realising the perils of this water, and they were found the next day down in Alicante. Uh, you probably also will have heard of people who have been um, a couple of tourists who were up in Cala de Finistrat uh, and they were swept away by a tide of water. We Even this week, we've had videos of people looking down from maybe a flat in, in Alicante, seeing a lady with a pram being rescued just before the waters took the pram away. I mean, we really... Um, We've got to get our our uh, priorities right. I mean, of course, the disruption to weather plans, uh, to holiday arrangements, to travel plans uh, is all part and parcel of what we need to discuss and think about. But the reality is the priority for me must always be what is the safest thing and what is the most perilous thing and what's, what you've got to warn people to get away from. Um, you know... I got, as I say, I got this weather warning that comes on my telephone. Uh, okay, it could be Alicante, the, the 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 city of Alicante. It could be up here at the, in the province of Alicante. Nobody knows. It's a it's an act of we say an act of God, but it could be whatever you believe in. It's an act of the the weather, isn't it? Nature, nature. It's an act of nature. I mean, nature is is the most powerful thing. And I think that's that's one of the fall downs. Maybe we we forget about um, sometimes. Even even as Christians, we forget that the that nature, God given, and it is powerful, and it will it will destroy anything, or is potentially destructive, will destroy anything in its path, in its wake. Mm-hmm. Um, as you as you know, weather. I mean. Slightly, slightly, it's on the same thing, but we we live on a, a fault line here, a massive fault line of volcanoes. Um, runs all the way from the south of, from Portugal, all the way up into the mountains uh, in uh, on the border. And, and every week there are little tremors somewhere all along the coast. And uh, we don't notice them because they're so small. But then you have the events like Lorca with the, you know, yeah. it's, I'm not sure that it's weather-induced, but the weather certainly has an effect afterwards. It's certainly that there, you know, you get the waves or you get um, something happens, the dark, the clouds, lava, whatever it is, uh, from these eruptions. And uh, they're, they're not to be forgotten about either, really. Well, I mean, the, the, the purists will immediately say, oh, yes, but that's not really the weather. But, of course, it does affect the weather. You know, yeah. uh, which, of course, is again something as we come to the end of our hour together that, that is quickly in my mind is that these climate activists never seem to be aware that uh, there are volcanoes putting stuff up into the atmosphere every minute of every day. And therefore, you know, me driving my car, uh, you know, I'm not too sure whether what their priorities seem to be uh, really looking after my safety and my health and protecting the planet. I get the feeling that the forces of um, the sun and the moon and uh, the weather events are far more uh, affecting what really happens on the planet by people throwing little pallets of orange dust at Wimbledon and uh, the snooker event and the rugby final. Um, I think we have gone about just about as far as we can go. Um, Once again, Matt, we've had another hour. Uh, Don't know whether you. I can't believe that that one's gone. How quickly? Never mind. Well, we do pick some very interesting topics, and uh, I think the the joy of maybe producing a, a very informative hour for our listeners is great. Uh, you know, I think it is nice to be able to think that we've made some information available, which uh, you know. 
can be taken on board. Matt, I can wish you well and obviously hope that you enjoy the rest of the day and look forward to our chat next week. Wonderful, Vince. You too. Love to Anne, your beautiful wife, and uh, speak to you next week. Thanks a lot, Matt. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao.